Well, good morning. Uh, good to see everyone. Beautiful summer day. Hard to believe, actually, summer. We're in a series. We like to teach on a certain topic for multiple weeks at a time. We started this series last week, Imagine Heaven. Today's topic is everything new. If you missed last week or would like to see it again on Facebook, you can watch the service. On our website, you can listen uh, to the teaching time. So, this morning I'd like to start with a question. What happens after you die? Now, I said last week everybody's going to die, and I got corrected. Uh, if, God, if the Lord comes back, some of us might be raptured before we die. But assuming He doesn't come back in the next 50, 100 years, all of us will physically die here on earth, right? So, everybody's going to die, but it's most important to you is when you die, right? Most important to me is when I die. And everybody has opinions. Uh, they range from, I don't believe anything happens when you die, to I believe everybody goes to heaven or someplace, paradise, whatever it might be. For most of us would be somewhere in between. Um, and why do you, but the bigger, bigger question is, or harder question is, why do you believe what you believe? If you believe there's no heaven, or if you believe everybody goes to heaven, or something in between, why do you believe what you believe? I mean, that's what's important, right? And is it, are you willing to risk your eternity on not knowing, or just kind of hoping it's all going to work out, right? Most people tell you, well, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad, and, you know, if there's a heaven, I wind up there. Well, that's, that's not really a good strategy, I don't think, is it? So that's why we're taking a few weeks into talking about this topic. We said last week, most people have a better plan for vacation than they do for eternity. We have our next vacation plan. It's going to be in September. We're going to Duck, North Carolina. We know where we're going to stay, what it's going to look like, etc. The, the, the house we rented <clears throat> and all that. And some of you have already had your vacation. Some of you got planned. So we plan all that, right? And a week later, it's over. But we're talking about potentially eternity. So not to have a plan for it, it's not really uh, too smart, is it? Now, last week we started the series, and it's based on a book that was put out in 2015. It's called Imagine Heaven. And this author, John Burke, was not a believer when he started studying near-death experiences. And in researching for this book, he, over the last 30-plus years, he's studied over 1,000 near-death experiences, some in person, of course, some reading. And he wasn't a believer when he started. He was an engineer. Uh, became a believer, and now he's actually a pastor, and you'll see him on the, on the video. And we talked about some misconceptions we have about heaven. Again, you can look, go back and look at that. We talked about <clears throat> uh, the commonality that there is in near-death experiences. And we're trying to compare, okay, what the Bible says. Now, some of us believe what the Bible says. Some of you may not believe what the Bible says. So we're comparing the Bible to these near-death experiences. And it's just amazing. It's remarkable uh, when we do that. So, the question for the day is, so what's heaven going to be like? What's it going to be like? And again, we're looking at near-death experiences uh, as well as the Bible. Uh, every near-death experience is different. There's some commonality, but they're all different, which makes sense because we're all different. Um, Will I get to do the things I like to do? Will you get to do what you like to do? Uh, we got some fishermen, we got some hunters. 
Uh, I don't know. Are you going to be able to kill things in heaven? I don't know. I'm not a hunter, so that's not an issue for me. Are we going to have jobs? Some of you say, I don't want to work. I don't want to go be working there. Well, think about your, the, the thing you enjoy doing the most. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be money. You're going to get paid for it, but there's going to be stuff to do. I, I, it's not going to be boring. We talked about that last week. So most of us have a kind of a narrow, shallow image of heaven. We just kind of got this vague idea that it's this beautiful place we go to when we die. And uh, the reality is we can know a lot more than that, both from the Bible and from these near-death experiences. So here's where I want to go this morning. Basically with this premise, what you can see on earth foreshadows the beauty of what you can't yet see in heaven. So we can kind of get a glimpse or foreshadowing of what heaven's going to be like. So what are some things that we enjoy here on earth? So I made a list of a few kind of general categories. Nature, a lot of us enjoy nature. I like running on the Appalachian Trail or hiking on the trail and getting on top of the mountain, looking at beautiful views and stuff. I enjoy that. Some of you don't, but that's fine. Uh, some of you like the ocean. Uh, so nature, uh, beautiful sunsets, uh, relationships. Uh, you can think about the, the, the time, you, those of us are married, the, the day you got married, how happy you were that day. Those of us have our parents. Can you remember the day when you first heard, held that child? And we've had four. And then the grandparents, you remember the first time, that first grand, or each grandparent, that, that, that grandchild comes along. Uh, so relationships. Uh, design. Uh, Pinterest, some of you guys, folks are into Pinterest, <laughs> that's all about design, and I appreciate those of you who are about design and to do design stuff here for us in the church, uh, so we appreciate that, and, and creativity, and uh, that excites some of you. Uh, light's an interesting thing, we all like light. <clears throat> People that live on the poles, they are close to the North Pole, South Pole, they have difficulty dealing with the long winters because it's just kind of no light. And when you go on vacation, you don't want it to, to rain the whole time, do you? <laughs> you want it to be sunny. Um, so light's important to us. Science, how things work. How, you know, uh, I think some of the scientific laws in heaven are going to be different. But it's going to be fascinating to figure out how things work. And then our senses. You know, we experience life through our senses. Seeing and hearing and smelling. And I get older and some of mine don't work as well as it did when I was younger. Uh, but just... The, the information we get is that our will almost be sensory overload, but we won't be overloaded uh, when we get to heaven. So, you know, well, I get to run in heaven. Well, there'll be something like the Appalachian Trail to run. Some of you like to fish. Will you be able to fish? I, I don't know. Um, I like watching action movies and science fiction movies. Are there going to be movies in heaven? I can sit and watch. My wife likes chick flicks. Is she going to get able to watch chick, chick flicks in heaven? Uh, yeah, whatever you like. Eating, we all like to eat, right? And our favorite food's going to be there, your favorite flavor of ice cream? Or is it going to be foods we've never tasted before? And then is gonna, I don't think they're going to have to kill animals to eat if you eat meat. I stopped eating meat, as most of you know. But anyway, uh, so I have more questions than I have answers, but I think we have some answers. So again, the premise is this. What you can see and experience on earth foreshadows the beauty of what you can't see in heaven. Now, here's an illustration I want to help you, help you with. Back in October, some of you know, my wife and I went to <clears throat> southern France on a river cruise to celebrate our 40th anniversary. Of course, we took lots of pictures, and we put some on Facebook. You saw some of them. Anyway, I just want to show you two pictures. 
Our last day was a Sunday we spent in Paris. <clears throat> All right, we got to go to church at the, whatever the big cathedral is, and <laughs> I can't remember Paris. But anyway, in the afternoon, we got to the Eiffel Tower. So we're walking up to the Eiffel Tower. It looks like this, okay? So then we get up as far as to let you go, kind of this, this level here, and took this picture. So it's mid-afternoon. It's a sunny day, kind of like today. And uh, so my wife took the picture, and you see the shadow of uh, the Eiffel Tower. So just looking at the picture brings back all this excitement to us. But to you folks, they're just pictures, right? And you might have seen other pictures. Some of you might have been the But it's 2D for one example, one, one problem, right? Not 3D like we were there. You, there's, not, there's no smells, there's no sounds. It's just a picture. So you kind of get it, but you don't really get it. It's kind of a f- poor example, I guess, or a, uh, a limited example of the excitement we experienced, right? So Earth is kind of like that. It's, and all these near-death experiences that people have a hard time describing, it's almost indescribable. And it's indescribable to, 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 to explain to you our vacation, right? And you've all had these experiences too. And I talk for a living, but it, you know, I, I don't have the words. They're inadequate. And we're going to see that in near-death experiences. We're going to see that in accounts in the Bible. Now, I came across a statement I thought was fascinating by C.S. Lewis. He was a famous theologian, brilliant man, and he made this comment, this statement, and it just, I keep thinking about it. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, okay? It just, you know, you know now how great stuff is, it just doesn't completely satisfy. The most probable explanation when we experience that, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I was thinking about this. I think, you know, a- animals can be, pets can be completely satisfied, right? You know, if you feed them, give them something to drink, and give them a warm place to sleep, they're just happy as can be, right? But we can have all that stuff, and still there's something just not complete are finished. No matter how good the vacation is, no matter how great your job is, no matter how great your relationships are, they can always be better. There's always something else. There's always something missing. And we're going to see that in these near-death experiences The people don't want to come back because they have this sense that they're satisfied. Now, one of the, I've read the book and I encourage some of you to read the book if you like. Uh, Somebody was sharing with something that they remember from the book they, they bought and reading. One of the most fascinating things or accounts in the book to me was of a man who was born blind. Now, none of us understand that, right? Can you imagine being, I have to try and imagine, being born blind and then having a near-death experience? So his name was what? Brad Burrows. And uh, he was eight years old when he had this experience. So I don't know, it's six slides or so. I'm going to read it to you <laughs> because it's just so, so fascinating uh, to me. The weather was absolutely perfect in terms of temperature and humility. Humid, humil- humidity, there it is. <laughs> now, a blind person can experience weather, right? So this wouldn't be anything strange to him. He said it was so fresh, so unbelievably fresh, the mountain air on earth could not even come close. So again, he's having a hard time explaining it, but it's something he's experiencing as weather. It seemed like everything, even the grass I'd been stepping on, seemed to soak in the light. Now, wait a minute. He's never seen light, right? But all of a sudden, he's talking about light. 
It seemed like the light could actually penetrate to everything that was there and even the leaves on the tree. So this light is penetrating everything. And again, this is a person that's never seen. Then he goes on. There was no shade and there was no need for shade. The light was actually all-encompassing. So it's kind of like coming from all directions. There's no sh- shadows. There's no shade. Again, he's never seen shade. <laughs> Yet I wondered how I could know that about light and about shade because I had never seen before that point. At first, I was taken back. You would think you would be, right? Seeing for the first time. I did not understand what sensation I was experiencing. So I couldn't explain it. But here's the fascinating thing. While I was moving through this particular field, I seemed to accept it very readily. So he'd never seen before, but now he's seeing, but it's kind of like, okay, I can see. Fascinating. And I felt like I wouldn't understand it, and it if it had happened on earth, yeah, it would be mind-blowing, right? But where I was, I was able to accept it almost immediately. Fascinating. Person born blind could see in this near-death experience. <clears throat> now, we're going to look at something the guy in the Bible wrote. His name was John. He was one of Jesus' disciples, probably the youngest one. And he, he lived to be the oldest. And he wrote a book in the Bible we call Revelation. He was probably like in 90 AD, so it's like 60 years after Jesus, uh, he's writing this account uh, of an angel explaining to him what heaven is going to be like. Uh, he's going to describe a city. Now, the fascinating thing, thing in these near-death experiences are, are when people describe the city, it doesn't matter what country they're from, it doesn't matter what ethnicity, it doesn't matter what uh, religious bent they have, if they're Muslim, uh, or, or whatever, Buddhist or Christian, they all describe a similar city. So if you're from Germany, they don't, they don't describe Berlin. If you're Japan, they don't describe Tokyo. You know, if you're from India, they don't describe New Delhi. Uh, or, or Moscow, if they're, if they're from Russia, they don't describe, if you're in the United States, New York City, Washington, DC, they don't describe these cities. They describe the same city. So here we're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 21. We'll go through the first eight verses. Then I, John, of course, saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. So I don't know what heaven's going to be exactly like, but I know it's going to be kind of like here because it's described as a new earth, and this is the old earth, right? So you wouldn't use the word earth unless it's kind of similar to here. Now, I don't know why the sea was gone, but uh, one interpretation is because back in that day, they thought the sea is kind of an evil, foreboding place. Even in the 15th century, you know, they thought the earth was flat. You could, you know, (laughs) fall off. All right. But um, that's up to God, not to me. So if you take an ocean cruise, I don't know if you can do that in heaven or not. But anyway, and I saw the holy city. Here it is. It's described as a new Jerusalem, which would be the most important city to a Jew. Now, it was coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So, God, again, is coming down to us, just like Jesus Christ came out of heaven to us. And notice the relational uh, imagery here, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, because, again, it's all about relationships. And he said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Now, that word home 
is literally the word tabernacle. And some of you know the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, and the Israelites got out in the, in the, in the uh, uh, with Moses out in the <clears throat> wilderness. They built this tent. They called it a tabernacle. And they put like the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Never see the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> anyway, they put that Ark of the Covenant in there. And uh, they called it the Holy of Holies. And the high priest could only go in there once a year. And they would tie a rope to his leg in case he, in case he uh, died in there. They could pull him out. Now, I, as, a, as an inquisitive person, I'm thinking, some kid must have snuck in there sometime into that tent. But maybe not. And then they replaced it with the temple. And then when Jesus died, that the, this thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple did what? It just split from top to bottom. And God said, I'm not going to hide behind a curtain anymore. I'm going to be accessible to everybody. So that's the word here. God is tabernacling or dwelling with or is a home among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Intimacy, relationship. Now one of my favorite verses in scriptures is the next verse. It says this. He, of course God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Just did a funeral a couple weeks ago. And she was a great Christian lady and we were celebrating the fact she's in heaven now but we still sorrow and crying and tears and we all have pain in our lives from you know, garbage in our lives and relationships in our lives, right? Can you imagine life without tears, death, or sorrow? That's what we long for, right? A life like that. And then he says, and the one sitting on, on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Here's our sermon title, right? Everything new, teaching title. Now, we like things new, right? We buy new clothes even though our old clothes are still good. Right? Because we want new. My wife changes the furniture around or buys new furniture even though the old furniture is fine, right? Because we like something new and fresh. We like to go to new places. We think about doing another river cruise and there's another one next year in, in southern France. But we already did there, done that. Even though it was fantastic. Next time we want to go someplace new, right? And so, in heaven, everything's going to be new. You'll never get tired or bored or whatever. You could change your decor every day if you want, I guess. I don't know. Because God is a creator God and his creativity is unlimited. And so he's going to make everything New. And then he said to me, write this down, which I'm glad he did because I can be, be reading it today. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Now, again, this is kind of some of this stuff that's kind of hard to believe, right? So he said, and you, you can take it to the bank. This is true. This is what's going to happen. And he also said, it is finished. Does that sound familiar? Jesus on the cross said it was finished. What was finished? His payment for our sins and, and our salvation would be free, right? That work for our, our salvation was free and so we could be related, now, reconnected with God. It was finished. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, like A to Z, beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. So it's going to be finished all dealing with sin, sin, and all evil is going to be gone. And it's just going to be paradise forever. All who are victorious 
will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. And again, this sense of intimate relationships. Now the last part here, we, not, we don't like. In fact, we hate this part. Here it goes. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who have practiced witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. And we all know people like that, right? And we might have been there at one time. Their fate isn't this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and new earth. It's a fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the second death. And we're going to take one week during this series and look at negative near-death experiences. So, there's a tension. Life is a mixture of exceptional beauty and deep dissatisfaction, isn't it? And we go on that roller coaster of emotions. And our best relationships, and I have, a, I have a great marriage, a great wife, but the best relationships are marred. There's still issues. We still bump heads sometimes. So eternity separates the two. And our experiences become pure. Fantastic to, to just think about. So I showed you a video last week. I'm going to show you an interview with three different people today. About a six-minute clip. Uh, Pastor John Burke. Uh, the first is going to be an airplane pilot, uh, Dale Black. It's fascinating to think of his perspective as an airplane pilot descending into the city. And then uh, Dr. Mary Neal, again, is going to describe kind of the city, how she saw it. And then uh, Pastor Piper, who wrote 90 Minutes in Heaven. It's a book and a movie. Uh, he's going to uh, describe that for us. So watch and listen. So in, in your book, you describe flying into, is it the New Jerusalem? What is it? And, and describe the beauty and what you saw. I get this incredible uh, airborne view, a descending, slowing down airborne view of the city of gold. And it's city. It's a city that's walled. Over the city were majestic mountains that were as gorgeous as any that could be ever seen. However, they did not look that different than earth. I wasn't disappointed by that. I'm not saying that. I noticed snow. So think about that. Snow. What does that mean? Atmosphere? Temperature? Snow? What's that all about? I noticed flying birds later. What does that mean? Uh, these are the kind of questions I ask. Yeah. Okay, if a bird is to fly, it can't be a vacuum. I'm hearing music. What does that mean? Music can't transfer in a vacuum. It has to be in an atmosphere. There's atmosphere here in heaven. Oh, what does that mean? That and means, you're flying, but you don't have wings. Right. I'm floating is what I would call it. I'm floating and coming in, descending. And finally, I come down and touch ground level for a while. And I'm hovering between 40 feet-ish and down. And, uh, but I, I recognize later, oh, there was gravity there. There is gravity. There is atmosphere. There's water. There are animals. Inside the city, I, I could see, uh, we'll start from foreground to back, if you like. Uh, I could see the townships, as I called them, homes that people lived in, homes that were likely to be created for the people of heaven. Interestingly enough, they struck me by not so much the size as the 
architecture. I know nothing about architecture mm. at all. I still don't. But uh, I recognize that there was something divine about the architecture of the buildings. There were small, what we would call like uh, condos here. There were single family residences that we would call here. There were huge palaces. And I could see that, but... And this like is all inside the wall? On the other around. side of the wall. I saw none of this. And how big is this city? I mean, can you tell? I could not tell other than it was beyond the horizon both directions. There's countryside inside, so that it's a, it's gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives times a thousand. So coming up to this dome structure, maybe was it a city? Could you tell? Was there something inside? Well, was there an entrance into it? There was an entrance. It was a big arched entrance and a wide threshold. What did that look like, that entrance? Well, similarly, it was almost like the old Roman block arches, but again, these blocks were uh, seemingly solid looking, but not. They were really woven together with love, which is nonsensical. Uh, but but that's, you were aware of a structure yes, and art? Yes, it seemed structural to me. And was there... And you know, the gate of heaven or a it gate? It wasn't, well, I don't, there wasn't a gate. When it was gate. just an archway. Yeah. And I would say, again, that if I had any inclination that I was coming back, I would have tried to make more mental notes because many of the questions are the same questions that I ask myself now. And I will say that I was able to see many Again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure. Very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the Inside. They were all very busy. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. Well, the gate is quite large. Um, uh, the, the, the gate itself, the entrance is small. Um, and the wall is very thick. But you can actually see through it. So I'm looking over these people and I can see through it. And there, there appears to be a, this massive boulevard that really kind of bisects the city, and it is made of gold. But gold that is so pure you can see through it. It's, it's, what do you mean? Well, you can actually see through the gold. It's gold, and it's visible and tangible, but it is, it is pure. Now, we can't imagine that here because gold on earth is one of the densest metals we have. But in heaven, it's so pure you can see through it. So you can see under it. You can see even the roots of trees and things like that. There are trees there. In fact, the tree of life is there mm -hmm. uh, that we were not able to eat of here. We can eat of it there. And you can, you're looking through the I'm looking at the tree. The I'm looking at the gates. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this, this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up. And I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So uh, many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and, and um, heaven's never going to be less than this. It's always going to be more. Yeah. So whatever you imagine here that is, is meaningful to you, do, to you, the relationships, the beauty, and let's face it, there's some glorious places yeah. on earth, but there should be because God created it. This is His place. So heaven's not going to be less than that. 
it's going to be more than that. There are structures on both sides of the, of the city. Uh, they look like uh, mansions to me. I mean, they're glorious places for people to dwell. Um, so it, it's just, a, it's just a, an incredibly awesome, overwhelming, bustling place. It's not a boring place. There aren't any cherubs sitting around on clouds playing harps. This is an active, exciting, thrilling place. And at this magnificent gate, a very large uh, wall, a very thick wall, and, uh, but it could, there's a gate, and it looks like the inside of an oyster. It's a, it's a gate made of pearl, uh, really quite dazzling, very br- brilliant, very beautiful. It almost looks like it's pulsating with life, except I, I know it's the light reflecting off the gate that make it, makes it look that way. The arch and the tunnel was the same substance it was not stone, but it was in the stone. But what was the substance? It, the substance was pearl. It, it looked like liquefied pearl. And when the light from the thro- throne room, that's the only light that there is, emanated through, it just bounces off the pearl. There's no shadows, and there's no darkness at all, and there's no need for na- uh, unnatural or artificial light, mm. and it's, it is a, a sight to behold and welcomed me to go through it, but I, I couldn't go through it at that time. Wow, uh, fascinating. Uh, these, there are longer excerpts of these. You can Google them and find them uh, on the Internet if you want to listen to more of the descriptions. So it's just fascinating how similar yet different and how closely it matches what John wrote. So we're going to go back and look at the, actually the last thing in the Bible, Last chapter in the Bible, some more of what John wrote. Again, how it echoes or is reinforced by these near-death experiences. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God in the land, flowed down the center of the main street. And Pastor Piper is talking about that. We think about living water. We think about the woman at the well and Jesus telling her, I give you this water, you'll never thirst again. Uh, on each side of the river grew a tree of life. Now in the Garden of Eden there was a tree of life that they couldn't eat of. We can eat of this tree evidently in heaven. There's actually more than one. Twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. Again, I don't understand the concept of time because there's no, there's no night, there's no darkness. Uh, but there's some passing of time. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. I'm thinking, well, it can't need any healing. So I read it a little more carefully and it says the leaves were used. Past tense, right? They were used for the medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. There won't be any need for healing and medicine. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. Can you imagine seeing God's face? And his name will be written on their foreheads. Again, they're trying to explain something that's unexplainable, so I don't know what the implication is about the names on their foreheads, but will be God's people. And there will be no night, I mentioned that already, there, no need for lamps or sun. So it's just, there's just a light radiating from God and it just, everywhere. And the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. Again, this is hard to imagine, it's hard to believe, but you can, you can believe it. It's really true. It's really going to happen. And the Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. I don't know what soon means because it's been a while. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of this prophecy 
written in this book. It's the only book in the Bible where you're told you're blessed for reading. I think you're blessed for reading it all, but this is the only one you were told you're blessed for reading. So then I, John, am the one who heard <clears throat> and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now, wait a minute. That's kind of a problem, isn't it? Do we worship angels? So he gets corrected. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and the prophets as well as all who obey what is written in this book. So the first of the Ten Commandments is don't worship any other God. Jesus said don't put any other gods. So we, it's really important here on earth as well as later to not put anything before God. And then it ends with this, worship only God. So, until we get there, Jesus comes back for us, what do we do in the meantime? What should you do? What should I do? And we all have choice, right? We all have choice. Good or evil, right or wrong. We can dwell on the beautiful sunset or on the mosquitoes that are eating us up and putting welts on our skin, right? You can choose what to, what, what to dwell on. I put it this way on your outline. You can find fault or you can find grace especially in relationships. You can find fault, you can find grace. We tend to find fault with others, we hope they'll find, <laughs> find grace with us. And we just, the last series is on grace. So let's dwell on grace. That's what God does for us, doesn't he? He doesn't dwell on our fault. Jesus took the fault for us. So you have a choice. So here's your homework if you want to have homework. Here's what you can think about this week. What area of your life will you need to look harder to find grace as we've been saying what you believe about heaven changes the way you live here on earth that's why this series is so important this is so why you need it and I need to think about it we need to get this figured out and straightened out and as we said earlier what you can see on earth for shadows the beauty of what you can't yet see in heaven we're out of time we have one last song to let you go I uh, hope you can join us as we continue this fascinating discussion next week let's pray Father God, thank you. We thank you for what John had wrote, written. We thank you for these near-death experiences. They just kind of add to or reaffirm what, what most of us probably believe. And maybe we have some unbelievers here this morning. We're glad that they're here. Uh, if they tend not to believe the Bible, God, uh, these are people, and there's thousands of them, that recount when they're medically pronounced dead, no brain activity, they have these experiences. There's no other explanation that I can think of. And God, we want to pray for anyone that's not a, a Jesus follower or not serious about it at this point. Today, they would, they would make it serious and they make it a point. Step across that line and worship no other God but you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.